Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. <clears throat> Just to give you uh, an idea of where we're going, we kind of made the announcement last week uh, in reference to the, the theme for our Advent uh, services, but I couldn't remember everything in order. So I, I have some slides just to run through so you can kind of see where we're going here. Uh, when we look at the lineage of Christ, uh, that is the, the lineage of hope that we're talking about. So this morning we're going to start with Adam, and that is going to be a better representative, followed by Enoch, who then we're going to see a better uh, righteousness. Then we'll see uh, Noah, which is a better rescue, followed by Abraham, a better realization. I know you're probably wondering, what in the world is that talking about? Find out when we get there. Then we've got Isaac, a better resurrection, followed by Boaz, a better redeemer, and David, a better ruler, and then finally, Jesus. Hope has come on Christmas Day. So I hope you're looking forward to that as we look at this lineage of hope, this lineage of people, men, uh, important men that we look up to in the life of in the lineage of Christ, and we see that, of course, in Luke chapter uh, Luke chapter three. If you want to stick your finger in Romans five and jump over to Luke chapter three real fast, I will not read through all the genealogies here, uh, mostly so that you don't laugh at the way I pronounce things. Um, but starting in verse twenty three, we see the genealogy of Christ, obviously working backwards, and we come to the last verse of chapter three. It says. In verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And I think it's really interesting that Luke takes us all the way back, not just to Adam, but he takes us back to God. Adam, the son of God, obviously not begotten the way that we are, but the firstborn, the first created by God. And we know Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, as we enter this Advent series and we begin to think about Christmas and the celebration of Christ's birth, we need to remember that at the beginning of all of this grand story of this history is God. He is the beginning. He is the central figure. This is his story, not ours. And I think if we're not careful, we'll, we'll begin to consider these gospel realities, even the birth of Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can find ourselves falling into the trap of thinking that the story is about us. And when we do that, we tend to, to pervert things. We tend to, to see things focused on us rather than what God is seeking to do. We must not forget that all that we have and all that we are and all that we know comes from God. This lineage of hope that we will trace over the next few weeks points to his grand plan that leads to a manger, to a cross, to a grave, to an ascension, to an intercession, to an eternity of peace or judgment. While God is the beginning in human terms of lineage, of course, we begin here with the first human, Adam. The first thing I want to look at is Adam as our rebel representative. Adam as our rebel representative. We see here in Romans chapter 5, 
Starting in verse 12, it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we see here a reference to one man. And as we continue reading, as Eric did earlier, uh, we'll get to it eventually. Um, As we continue reading, we see who that one man is. That one man is Adam, the first man created by God. And we see that through him, through Adam's sin, through his disobedience, sin entered into the world. Sin was not in the world before Adam. And so when Adam chose to disobey, we see sin entering in the world through this one man. We see back in Genesis chapter 3, if you'll bear with me, we'll read through this very quickly. God had given them a command. He had given them a command that said, do not, you have all the trees to eat the fruit of here in this garden that I've given you. He said, but there's one tree that you should not eat the fruit of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we come to Genesis chapter 3, and we see the tempter. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves Loincloths. Here we see the first act of disobedience. And as we understand this passage in light of the New Testament, we know that Adam, as the first creation, as the man, as the, the head of his household, and as one who, Scripture says, was not deceived. Uh, we see that Eve was deceived by the serpent, and so the guilt, the onus of this sin lands rightly on Adam. And so it is through Adam that we see here in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that sin enters into the world. But it's not just sin. It's not just sin. Because death also came into the world because of Adam's sin. We live in a world that is full of pain and heartache and suffering. We see even Even now we see different factions warring against one another. We see the world taking different sides and and, uh, and lifting up one side who's who's doing horrible things against another side who's also doing horrible things because war is horrible. Death came into the world because Adam sinned. All of this pain and the hardship and the The war and the struggle of life is because of this rebel representative. Because Adam chose to sin rather than to obey the command that God had given him, we not only are sinners, but we are under the plague of death. 
the curse of death. Genesis 3, 17 and through 19 says this, And Adam said, Because you have listened, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The most obvious understanding of death that was promised to Adam and to Eve was physical death. We see that even here in the curse, God promises him, you were, you were of the dust, and because of your disobedience, you will return to the dust. There will be a physical death. You will, you will, in essence, disintegrate. Your body that was formed from the dust of the ground will one day return to that dust. And that will be it. That's all, that's all your physical body will go through. And during that time, you'll have hardship and pain and struggle, thorns and thistles, and you'll have to work hard. And you'll have to eat from the sweat of your brow. Your work, your labor, all of these things are part of that curse, part of that physical death. But there's another reality here, and that is a spiritual death. A spiritual death. Now, many times we think of spiritual death with a term called separation. And while this is a true uh, and, and good way of looking at death, we need to understand what that separation actually is. Because if we're not careful when we think about being separated from God, we can almost think of this spiritual death of separation as, as like an accident. It's like something that just kind of happened to us. Well, now we're separated from God and we've got this, this great gulf fixed between us and we've, you know, we're just at a loss. What are we going to do? But that's not the way that the Bible describes that separation. See, the Bible describes that separation as a separation, not a passive separation, but an active separation, a separation of rebellion. That's the separation of spiritual death. See, it's not God just building a wall or creating a gap and saying, you can't get to me. It's us saying, we don't want you. We are against you. We are your enemies. Spiritual death is man's rebellion against God. Psalm 50, 51, verses 3 through 5, this is the, the famous psalm where David pours out his heart and repentance towards God after his sin with Bathsheba. And it says in verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. That, that term brought forth has the idea of being formed. The idea there is in his mother's womb, he was formed even there in iniquity. And he continues that thought. He says, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that his mom sinned to 
conceive him. He's saying that he, in sin, was conceived. Psalm 58, 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. Estranged from whom? Estranged from God. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, very familiar passage. And you, but listen how, listen how it, it describes deadness, all right? Listen to how it describes deadness. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. How are we dead? In trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by what? By nature. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, our spiritual death or separation is not just this passive gulf that is fixed between us and God. Yes, there is a gulf, but it is a gulf that we continue to dig deeper and wider and wider every single day as we live in sin and rebellion against a holy God. That is spiritual death. In that moment when Adam sinned, there was a consequence. There was death, both physically. He would die. His body would go from dust to dust. But there was death spiritually. And that death brought war and enmity and rebellion. Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says this, For in him, speaking of Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making what? Peace. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile, in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Even here in this passage, just above where we're speaking today, Romans 5, verses 10 through 11 says this, for if while we were what? Enemies. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. As I was studying this, I, it was interesting, I came across a, a blog article from somebody asking, were Adam and Eve really enemies of God? Were Adam and Eve real? I mean, after all, when we look at the narrative, right, we see that, you know, God catches them red-handed, right? And we see him confronting them. And then after that, what do we see? We see him clothing them, right? We see him pushing them out of the garden, obviously, you know, to away from his presence, but also so that they would not eat of the tree of life and be sinners, fallen man forever, 
So we, do we see grace there? Yes, of course we see grace there. Do we not see grace in every aspect of life that God gives to us before Christ? But when you look at that narrative, have you ever noticed that there's no repentance? Go back in three, read Genesis chapter three. What do we see? Well, first thing we see is fear, Right? We see fear. We see God coming to, to walk with them and talk with them, and they have hidden themselves, right? And, and he says, where are you? And Adam says, I was afraid. I was afraid because why? Because I knew that I had sinned. I had disobeyed. Something is broken because of what I did. There's fear. And then when he starts talking to them, well, what happened? What's, what's the first thing that happens? Well, the only thing really that happens from them is blame shifting, right? Well, you know, the woman you gave me, God, you know, this is, this is really your fault. I mean, you put me to sleep. I didn't choose. You know, the woman you gave me, she, you know, she got me to eat this fruit. So God goes to Eve. Why did why'd you eat the fruit? Well, that serpent, he deceived me. If it weren't for him, none of this would have happened. And you read through, and from that point on, basically we have the curse. We have the consequences of the sin of Adam laid out. And we don't see any sign of repentance from Adam and Eve. Could they have been? Sure. Does the Bible tell us that? No. And it's interesting, as you continue to read in the book of Genesis, we see an unrepentant heart continue in, in Cain, do we not? We get down to Cain, and Cain offers this sacrifice to the Lord that's not accepted, and what does he do? He gets angry. He gets mad at God. And God warns him. He says, look, you, you need to watch it because sin lies at the door. If you do well, you'll be approved. And how does he respond? He goes and he kills his brother, Abel. Murderer. Then God comes to him and says, where's your brother? <laughs> Am I my brother's keeper? God points out the fact that he knows exactly what's happened. Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And he gives him a just punishment, even a gracious punishment. And what does he say? This is too much. I can't bear this. We continue to read through the genealogies and we come to Genesis chapter 6. And we see God looking at his creation and every thought and intent of the heart of man was wicked continually. Adam and Eve were enemies of God. The moment they disobeyed, they rebelled against him and all of humanity with them. Verse 13 of Romans 5, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. 
It's interesting uh, what's being said here, and I, I'm not going to delve too deep into this. We'll, we'll dig into this even deeper someday when we go through Romans. Um, but it's interesting what it says here. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. We just talked about it, right? We just talked about Cain. We talked about the world getting worse and worse and worse to the point where God sends a flood to destroy all of mankind, save a few. So sin certainly was in the world. Paul has even mentioned that reality as he's uh, gone through the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There, Paul is not giving any out to any individual here. We need to be clear about that. He's making the point that there was sin. There was sin before the law. But it's interesting, he says, but sin was not counted where there is no law. There's very few other commandments given before the law. If you go read through, read through um, Genesis, you don't see a lot of commands. Uh, other than the command in the garden, you see the command to Noah. We see there the, the retribution for those who would, who would murder given out after the flood. Um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. There might be a few more commandments here and here, but there was no law given until Moses. And yet, what does the next verse say? Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. He's saying we, there is, sin cannot be counted when there, where there is no law, and yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Why? Why? Because death came by one man's sin. Death came by Adam. We continue on, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. They didn't do the same thing. No one else in the history of mankind has eaten of the fruit that God said not to eat. But yet from Adam to Moses, death reigned. Why? Because Moses, as our rebellious representative, sinned. And it is because of his sin that death enters the world and death passes upon all sin, all men. See, we are guilty of our own sin. We will stand before God and we will one day give an account of the sin that we have committed. But it is in Adam's sin that death has come to us. It is because of Adam's representation as our, as our rebellious representative that death has come to us. And we are by nature, as his children, sinners. We deserve that death. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says this, For as in Adam all die. Lest you think I am taking this point too far, that's what Paul says. As in Adam all die. 
It affects everyone. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, Adam's rebellion as our representative points to one who is to come and reconcile rebels to their creator. Was, how does it end there? It says, it says that uh, in verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. See, Adam as our rebellious representative was a type of the one who would come and be our reconciling representative. He's pointing to the future because he is a failure. Because of him, we all like him are sinners. And death reigns over all of us. There's no one in this room who will not face death outside of perhaps the Lord coming. We won't get into that today. But death is the consequence of our representative because he was a rebellious representative. But praise the Lord, Jesus is our reconciling representative. He is our better representative. Verses 15 through 19, we see here, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Let's just stop here and take a look at this, this phrase at the beginning. But the free gift is not like the trespass. What is this free gift? What is this free gift that we're talking about? I know we, we like to simplify things. We like to, to package things up in, in words and phrases, and we like to make things as, as simple as possible for us to understand. But, but we need to understand what Paul's talking about when he's talking about these, this term free gift. What's he mean in the context of the book of Romans? So let's take a look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25. We read 23 already. It said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we stop there so often. But that's only part of the verse. What's the rest of it say? And are justified, or part of the sentence, I should say, and are justified by his grace as a gift. And are justified by his grace as a gift. What's Paul's concept of the gift in Romans chapter 3? It's justification. Justification. We are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Justification for sinners through the righteous blood of Christ, appeasing the wrath of God. That's the first understanding of this free gift. We are declared righteous. We are justified. Romans 5, verse 16, here, just this next verse in our passage. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's gift, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So again, we see here this free gift being justification. Romans 5, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of 
righteousness, reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. So we have declaration of righteousness, and then we have a gift of righteousness. Just the next chapter over, Romans 6, 23, one you all know well. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The free gift is also eternal life. See, the free gift is the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, justifying unworthy sinners before a holy God, and in so doing, granting to us eternal life in eternity with our Creator. The free gift is reconciliation. It's reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is, what is the ministry of reconciliation? That's what Paul, the apostle, that's what we as ministers of the gospel, that's what you as proclaimers of the gospel are called to do. We're called to call men and women and boys and girls to be reconciled to God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the free gift. And how often have we failed to call men and women and boys and girls to reconciliation? How often have we focused on eternity, focused on man-centered realities of sin and pain and judgment. Are all those part of the gospel? Absolutely they are. But the call of the gospel is not just to believe and be free. The call of the gospel is to come back into a right relationship, to be reconciled with a holy God who has created us. And he calls us to be reconciled to him. And he offers that through Jesus Christ, our reconciling representative. See, there's a drastic contrast given to us here in these verses between the transgression of Adam and the free gift, the perfect gift offered through Christ. Verse 16 again, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Do you notice the way that he phrased that there? He says, with Adam's representation, one sin, one sin produced condemnation. Think about that. One sin by one man because of his representation for us, for all of humanity, produced condemnation for all of us. 
but Christ's representation after many sins. His obedience after many sins brings justification. Are you not grateful for that justification, for that obedience of our reconciling representative? Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. In Adam's representation, death reigns. But in Christ's representation, life is given and death is defeated. Is that not a blessed hope? Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Because of Adam's representation, we're all condemned. With Christ's representation, justification is obtained. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Adam's representation causes us to naturally be sinners naturally be enemies of God. But with Christ's representation, we are supernaturally righteous before him. Verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the law was given to prove to us how wicked we are. The law was given to increase our sin, to give something that would point out our sin. And then our sin and rebellion even to that would grow greater and worse. But the grace that is in Jesus Christ abounded more. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Are you thankful for that grace this morning? Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you understand how drastic of a change that is? Do you really grasp the transformation of men and women who are enemies of God, who are defying God at every turn? that God through Jesus Christ would take them, reconcile them back to himself, not just as his creation, but as his adopted sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Do you see the transformation We look forward to celebrating the birth of this one who was born of a woman under the law, but never once breaking it so that he could redeem those who were condemned by it. No longer must we stand before God represented by Adam's rebellious 
rebellion and as enemies and rebels ourselves, but now we can stand before God represented by his son as reconciled sons and daughters and heirs with him. Does that mean something to you? Or are you just glad that you prayed a prayer and you're going to heaven? Or have you been reconciled to your creator? So how should we respond? How should we respond to this better representative? Well, first of all, we must experience a new birth. Jesus, when he spoke to Nicodemus, I won't spend the time reading the passage, but he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you are to see the kingdom of heaven, if you are to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Why? Because our physical birth does nothing for us. Our physical birth through our representative Adam simply gives us condemnation and death and a sinful nature and judgment. He says, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ, you have not given your life to God, you have not laid aside your desires and your wants and your way, and you have not turned from that and turned to Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. This is the proper response. When we see who we are because of Adam and we see who we can be because of Christ, this is the proper response. We must experience a new birth. But not only that, but we must live as free men and women. The next passage, the next verse after this passage, what does it say? Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Or as other translations say, God forbid. What's the next step? Yes, we need to be reconciled to God. We need to have that new birth. But then we need to live like free people. Free from the curse of sin. Free from the power of sin. That's what Romans chapter 6 is all about. You have died with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Why? So that you are no longer under the power and the penalty of sin, but you can live for Christ. We have the Spirit within us helping us. The question is, are we living like free people? Romans 8 tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in whom? In us. Did you ever notice that before? He, he sent Christ to pay the penalty of sin so that the, the law could be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you are here this morning and you have 
put your faith and trust in this reconciling representative in Jesus Christ? Are you walking with him? Are you walking in the spirit? So we must be born again. We must live as free men and we must proclaim the true gospel. Paul called himself a minister of reconciliation. Is that how we view the gospel? Is that how we view our interaction with men and women and boys and girls in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in our families? Do we view them as people who need to be reconciled to God? Or do we even view them as enemies? Do we disdain them? Do we see them as their creator does, as rebellious enemies, running from him, fighting against him, in need of reconciliation? And are we seeking to do that? Are we just looking for notches on a belt? Names in a Bible. My grandfather had a New Testament that he used to take soul winning. And he would write the names of people that got saved. How many people have answered a door and prayed a prayer and never been reconciled to their creator? Because the way we tell them the gospel is cheap. Are we looking to reconcile rebellious people to their creator? Are we just looking for converts? We just looking for prayer. We just looking for a result. See, in Adam, as our representative, we have all received judgment. But in Christ, we have reconciliation. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the true and better Adam. Come to save this hell-bound man. Lord, we know that in ourselves there is nothing that we can do to merit salvation. There is nothing that we can do to earn this grace that is given to us. We simply believe that Jesus is who he said he was that he has done what your word says that he has done and that because of him, sinful, rebellious men and women like us are reconciled to a creator who loved us enough to send the one who would reconcile us and who would stand before you as our representative. God, this reality is, is hard to fully grasp the kind of love that you would have for us to do that. But yet, Lord, we are grateful daily even more grateful as we recognize and we understand the reality of our sin, the reality of our position before you as rebels, as enemies, and the wonder of your grace. God, may it never be something that we get used to. 
May we glory in it. May we glorify you for it every day of our lives. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone who is here who does not know this reconciliation, who is who is maybe even walked an aisle and prayed a prayer, but there is no change. There is no life. There is no justification. There is no relationship with you. I pray that they would come to you. I pray that you would show them the truth of the gospel, that they would be reconciled to you even this morning. And that we could even glorify you and praise you with them in their redemption today. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have done and everything that you will continue to do, both for us and in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray.